Truth Espresso, episode 219. Face it, we all would rather sleep in this morning. <sighs> That's why God gave us espresso to kickstart our zombified corpses into hyperdrive. <laughs> and now, giving your mind and soul the morning shot of truth it craves. <sighs> this is Truth Espresso with Daniel Minnick. Well, hello there, and thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Truth Espresso podcast. My name is Daniel Minnick, your host, and I am here with my sweet, beautiful wife and co-host, Chelsea. Thank you, sweetheart, for co-hosting this episode with me once again. Oh, of course. I love doing podcasts with you. <laughs> yeah. And I think we're enjoying doing this little series. I know Christmas is over. But we are doing part three of Christmas is pro-life. And so we talked the last two episodes in this series about how the Bible demonstrated from the curse from the beginning that with the first sin and the fall, how Satan has sought to destroy life throughout history. And then with the pregnancy and the birth of both John the Baptist and Jesus in the Christmas narrative, we see see very strong pro-life statements. And so if you haven't listened to parts one and two of Christmas's pro-life, we highly recommend that you do that. And now, first, before we get into this particular part, we want to talk about how Jesus himself, given the Christmas narrative, how pro-life his conception and birth was, we want to see how pro-life Jesus himself was. But before we get into it, we kind of have a little funny story to talk about this last week. As of this recording, how we went to the store and we were looking at some uh, Christmas stuff on clearance. So sometimes it's good to find some deals after Christmas, especially if you plan ahead like we're trying to do and cut some costs by not getting some Christmas stuff during the Christmas frenzy, but getting some stuff right after Christmas when stores are trying to clear their inventory. And we saw some signs at Target there that said that um, some stuff was about 90% off. So yeah, you're not going to have a whole good selection when you get the biggest cut for Christmas clearance. But at this time, you know, a lot of the stuff was gone. <laughs> so it was kind of hard to find some good stuff on clearance. But whatever you'd find there was going to be discounted pretty heavily. But sweetheart, you want to mention uh, what we found there as we're looking for Christmas clearance stuff? That's It's, it's just kind of uh, a little bit humorous there. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm thinking about it now. I mean, it is humorous, but also kind of expected, I guess. So, yes, our goal was to try and find some discounted Christmas wrapping paper because Christmas wrapping paper is getting expensive like everything else. (laughs) And we were going through the holders there with the Christmas wrapping paper and probably about 75% or more of the wrapping paper that was left to buy had rainbows and all this stuff about pride 
<laughs> and the other paper that you could find there was like weird, multicolored, multinationality <laughs> type of strange looking people on there. <laughs> so it didn't really even look Christmassy yeah. of what was left. And that was, I mean, there was a lot, probably what? 50 rolls yeah there's a pretty decent amount that i could see there so yeah so the predominant ones that we saw there okay everything's on clearance heavily discounted trying to get rid of the inventory there and probably about 30 rolls or so of the same design that we saw there was called christmas pride wrapping paper so yes uh, one of those woke type of designs <laughs> and yeah as you said it didn't look very festive it didn't look very christmasy it's like wasn't it kind of like this like the background color was kind of like this light tan or beige or kind of yellowish type of color and just simple design of like it just said the words Christmas pride on it with rainbows and yeah it didn't look very Christmassy and obviously a very specific niche market there if we're just only accounting for the market there but it seemed like there's a good reason why you know if they're trying to sell Christmas pride wrapping paper why it wouldn't sell very well you know <laughs> and it just you know as we're looking for wrapping paper to see there's just so much of that and they can't get rid of it like we're not seeing people there looking for wrapping paper, snatching it up at that awesome 90% discount there. <laughs> yeah, we did find some, well, some of the wrapping paper we had already, but it would work was the Black Panther and then <laughs> some sort of like mermaid Christmas looking one. But other than that, and just those two rolls was like a dollar something. So yeah. that was a really good price. Oh, yeah. See. But yeah, like you said, <laughs> no one was going there and just piling on the Pride Christmas <laughs> yeah. wrapping paper. Because, mm. yeah, like that was just blah. Whoever thought of that design <laughs> anyway. Yeah. And because you, you think of the niche required for that, because, okay, say you have someone who, you know, likes pride stuff, you know, like we're not talking about you even like, okay, obviously the Bible is against the whole pride stuff, but um, let's just say, you know, someone that happens to be into pride stuff or wants to claim that that's what they associate with. Now, even for someone like that, a lot of them probably would still like the typical festive Christmassy type stuff. You know, it's only if they want to make a particular statement about themselves that they're, you know, so into that that they would get this wrapping paper. Now, when you wrap, you get wrapping paper, you're using it to wrap gifts for someone else. Now, okay, so... That it might be someone, a pride person, gets that wrapping paper and is getting a gift for someone else who's also likewise like that. So pretty much any other scenario, it's going to be like, 
a turn off because people are not looking for niche woke politics and stuff for Christmas. They just want to show their love for people and get cute wrapping paper that is not provocative or, or, or you know, or political. <laughs> and so that's why we see all about 30 rolls of this ugly Christmas pride wrapping paper with rainbows and not um, holly or anything anything like that in the clearance section at Target and no one's buying it. <laughs> and now the, you know, the second most one was one that he said, yeah, it wasn't very festive looking. It seemed to just be kind of a, probably another political type wrapping paper that's trying to emphasize culture specific stuff and you know when they have culture specific stuff it's kind of like well we have to de-emphasize the christmas look of things because that's probably too american or traditional or whatever and so yeah very niche there and I'm sure a lot of people who would identify with the minority cultures there still prefer your typical festive wrapping paper that's cute with candy canes and nativities or even Santa Claus or whatever, you know, <laughs> bells and sparkles and stuff, you know. Yeah, I mean, some of that, it just did not look like Christmas at all, <laughs> and it looked kind of scary. I'm like, who as a kid would want to open a present that's wrapped in uh, yeah. weird i mean the people for the multicultural one they looked creepy like <laughs> i'm not sure what kind of drawing they were trying to do on there mm. but it was just very odd so <laughs> it I wasn't mean, holly jolly christmasy <laughs> yeah but it's target yeah and we should expect that <laughs> yeah i know and it's like as we're looking at this i'm like trying so hard not to just like chortle you know i was trying to hold back my laughter at the situation there and then i you know and i asked you like later on like so do you think that situation is any indication that target would change their wrapping paper inventory next year like, no, no of course not <laughs> but yeah yes our funny encounter with wrapping paper on clearance at Target. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hmm. <laughs> so that. <laughs> that lighthearted, goofy, but in, yeah, definitely still has its sad aspect to it. Story segues us to Christmas's Pro-Life, Part 3. And now, Jesus, the one whose narrative story demonstrated how pro-life his conception and birth is, do you think Jesus was pro-abortion or took a kind of an indifferent attitude toward life or maybe that some lives are more precious than others? <laughs> oh, well, I think that it's very clear in what Jesus came to do, what he taught, what he demonstrated was that he was very pro-life and that he valued life and that every life is precious. 
And I think there's quite a few passages that we can look at to show just how much Jesus did value every single life. There wasn't one that was more valuable than the other. So Jesus didn't seem to advocate killing innocent people or discarding little children, stuff like that. (laughs) Yeah. And so as I was researching this episode... Looking for articles, what people on both sides of the abortion debate have to say about Jesus on abortion. What did Jesus have to say about it, if anything? And yes, so first thing that we want to bring up right now and admit is that there is nothing in the Gospels in particular that is directly, explicitly addressing abortion as abortion, (laughs) okay? (laughs) Now, you know, you can definitely take a bunch of passages and see that the implications of them are (laughs) strongly on the pro-life side and against abortion, but, you know, there's nothing that explicitly mentions abortion itself. So, because of that, you have pro-abortion people saying, oh, look, Jesus had the perfect opportunity to talk about abortion, but he says zero about the issue of abortion that shows that he wasn't against abortion, and so on. (laughs) So, I want to bring up eight points about what Jesus says about the value of life. So, Jesus himself taught the value of human life as his life was valuable, and we see that the first point is that Jesus affirmed the whole Old Testament, or the Tanakh in Jewish terms. The Tanakh is kind of an abbreviation for the Torah, the Nevaim, and the Ketuvim. So, the law, the writings, and the prophets. And so, Jesus references all three points, but he also references the law a lot. And Jesus is well known for saying, in answering questions that challenge his actions and teachings, what is written in the scriptures? And it is written. He very much affirms the law, and he affirmed the whole Tanakh. And so, therefore, anything that's written in the Old Testament that is pro-life, that affirms the value of life, that you don't destroy life, that you're made in the image of God, anything that's there is something that Jesus would affirm. And so, the question is, well, was abortion itself as an act, as a procedure, something that was commonly in dialogue and so on in Israel at this time? Was it something that the religious leaders would have been talking much about as if it was a debate among themselves? So even as bad as the Pharisees were, as bad as Jesus considered them to be as hypocrites and stuff, I don't see where it's like a debate that they would have had, you know, in the Sanhedrin over whether abortion is okay or not. (laughs) So, an argument from silence in this case would seem to indicate that culturally, in Israel, everyone already accepted the idea that abortion was wrong and that children were precious, at least as far as parents want to have children. And so, it wouldn't have been a topic for Jesus to bring up and to preach to people. (laughs) Well, I like how you pointed out, babe, that, I mean, just looking at the culture, that it was a different mindset at this point, because this is a time where people saw if you couldn't have children, 
as like something wrong like it was a curse yeah. against you <laughs> like the example of elizabeth and zachariah like they wanted to have children i think that children were like you said they were valued more at this point in general mm-hmm. but you have you know herod who's sending out soldiers to go and kill all the children because mm-hmm. he's trying to get rid of the king Jesus didn't address that later on and be like, oh, that was horrible, like what he did. I mean, at that time, people thought that was horrible and thought he was a tyrant for doing that. So I think at this point, there is kind of that more black and white area of, all right, killing children is wrong at this time. And there are other things where there are a little more gray areas that Jesus addresses here. Yes, definitely. Because Jesus does have stuff to say to the religiously oriented people about how you respect children, Mm -hmm. (laughs) how you don't despise their status and so on. But yeah, it was a given that they respect, that they valued the life of children and not, you know, they didn't consider the lives of children disposable. (laughs) As you mentioned Herod tried to kill the king of the Jews that he feared. And so it was a travail. As the prophet said, it was a travail. Rebecca would mourn for the death of her children. So yes, Jesus affirmed the whole Old Testament. So you can't separate Jesus from anything that's written in the law. So, you know, you might as well quote anything in the law and the Psalms and the prophets that talk about the value of life and put it in the word, in the mouth of Jesus. <laughs> and so the fact that there's nothing recorded in the Gospels specifically mentioning abortion does not make Jesus pro-abortion or pro-choice or whatever. And so, yes, Matthew five seventeen through 18 is where Jesus says that till heaven and earth pass, not one jot or tittle of the law shall pass until all things be fulfilled. That's how important Jesus considered every word and every part of a word from the Old Testament. And then Luke twenty four forty four, Jesus mentions that everything written about him in the law and the prophets and the Psalms concerning him must be fulfilled. How is your flame of truth, Christian? Is it burning bright? Hi, I'm Rebecca Bershwinger, creator and host of One Little Candle, a weekly podcast dedicated to encouraging, empowering, and equipping believers to be the light that God has called us to be, so that we may pass down undefiled the truth of God's infallible word to the next generation. So join me and light your own little corner of the world. You can listen to One Little Candle on all major podcast platforms or at christianpodcastcommunity.org. So our point number two about how Jesus teaches and affirms the value of human life, we have that God cares for birds and we are worth more than many birds. (laughs) I think this is kind of a cool concept because when you think about how birds have to depend so much on (laughs) in the winter time yeah like finding food and being able to stay warm and getting to the right places if they migrate and (laughs) i mean there's a lot that birds have to do to survive but god provides that for them And then he says, okay, look at what all I've done or what all I do for these little birds. And yet you have way more value as humans. Like he cares for us even more than that. 
It's just a beautiful concept to think about that. I mean, not even concepts, beautiful reality that God does care for us and that he provides for us. So for references, we have there Matthew 6.26. As you mentioned there that Jesus talks about how the birds are, they migrate, they gather food, and yet God feeds them. And yet we're better than them. God considers us far more valuable than the birds that God has created to survive, to have this migration and gathering process. He built that into them. That's from the mind of God to care for them as birds, but yet they seem to be so insignificant sometimes in our lives unless you're one of those bird watchers <laughs> and then luke twelve six and 7 it says are not five sparrows sold for two farthings and not one of them is forgotten before god but even the very hairs of your head are all numbered fear not therefore ye are of more value than many sparrows yeah Like, okay, God cares so much about every detail and aspect of our lives. Like, he even knows the number of hairs on our head. For some of us, that's not too hard (laughs) to count. (laughs) For others, that is pretty astounding that God, (laughs) like, knows about that. But it's just, it's one of those things where you read, you're like, God wants to count every single one of my hairs. (laughs) I remember going through that verse with the kids, and they're like, that's kind of weird. He sits there and counts. Like, how many can we count up to? <laughs> but it's just the thought behind it that he cares so much about you and about you specifically. Yeah. Like, all the hairs on your head are numbered. They're all accounted for. <laughs> yeah. And so this verse, it's like Jesus asking the question about, okay, you can get five sparrows in the marketplace for seemingly meager amount of money. Money. And so it's like, it seems like they're so insignificant as we're conducting our lives. And yet, wait, God puts so much value even to the birds, but you're worth far more than many of the birds. And so, yeah, not one of them falls to the ground without your father knowing it. So, yeah, God cares a lot about birds, but he cares far, far more about us than about birds. And so now... Number three, example of how Jesus taught the value of human life is that he states we are not to despise little children. And some of these points are actually going to come from a singular event in the ministry of Jesus where people bring little children to him and he has a lesson for his disciples about their value. So in Matthew 18.10, Jesus says, Take heed that ye despise not one of these little ones, for I say to you that in heaven their angels do always behold the face of my Father, which is in heaven. So the angels these little children have specific angels basically assigned to them to kind of do the father's will to look after them. Like, so the father knows if a sparrow falls to the ground, well, the father also assigns angels who are present before the father, who behold the face of the father. And these angels assigned to these little children, like we're talking about infant children here. And so because because of that, that's the example. It says, be careful not to despise the little children. And the word for like little children in this verse is mikros. 
So that's referring to little ones, you know, how small and insignificant they may seem. And I would think that if Jesus is telling us not to despise the tiny little infants, why would he think, oh, well, these valuable little infants who have angels assigned to them, (laughs) who behold, who are like in the presence of the royalty of God the Father, that somehow they're not significant, that they're basically disposable lives before they exit the birth canal. I was trying to find the reference, but I can't think of it right now. I was thinking it was in Matthew as well. But isn't there kind of close to this where Jesus is telling the crowd that he's talking to, if you harm one of these children or one of these little ones, it would be better for you to have a millstone tied around your neck and be cast into the sea. I mean, so even though that's not like specifically an abortion procedure, he's still giving that warning that if you harm these little ones that I mean, eventually, if not now, there are going to be consequences for that because he does value and say that these little ones do have value. Oh, yes. So that's a little earlier in verse 6. So Matthew 18, 6 says, Whoso shall offend one of these little ones which believe in me, it were better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck and that he were drowned in the depth of the sea. So, yes, <laughs> Jesus emphasizes just how important he warns his disciples about not offending or not causing these little ones to sin or to do something wrong that can harm them. You do not mistreat them. You do not abuse them such that they later on in life can't determine right from wrong. So you don't abuse, you don't mistreat the little ones, these little infants. If you do, it's better that you face a miserable form of capital punishment. (laughs) That's Jesus' viewpoint on the value of little ones. And yes, we can definitely make that connection that they don't go from valueless to having immeasurable value, royal value before God the Father and his angels by merely passing through a birth canal. Then our next point, point number four, is kind of along the same lines, like you said, talking about how God values these little ones. So this comes from Matthew eighteen fourteen, but basically that it's not God's will to kill little ones. Yeah. So he says, even so, it is not the will of your father, which is in heaven, that one of these little ones should perish. So he cares about the life. He prescribes that you don't take the life or jeopardize the life of little children. Just earlier than that, he gave a quick example of the man who has a hundred sheep. So (laughs) you think, okay, a hundred sheep... Because of the numbers there, who cares about the one that might wander off? Well, I still have 99. Well, that's not the lesson. Because that sheep might be in danger, the man leaves the 99 that are safely in the fold to go and make sacrifices, even put himself on the line, you know, go through any danger necessary to rescue that one sheep one lamb and bring it back to the fold. And that's the attitude that Jesus is teaching that we should have toward little children, that they should not perish. We should value their lives. We should protect their lives. And now the next point, point number five, 
lesson from this same passage of scripture, Jesus's lesson to the disciples, because um, as people brought little infants to him, that he would touch them, basically to bless them. The disciples rebuked those people because they seemed to consider like, don't bother the master with pesky little infants. And Jesus had a fiery lesson for them. And then Jesus basically turned the tables on his disciples to say, hey, unless you become like these little infants in their faith in me, then you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Of such is the kingdom of heaven. So the kingdom of heaven has members that are like or of these little children. And it's interesting as doing a little word study because there are two different words depending on the account talking about the same event here. So Luke chapter 18 and verse 15 that narrates this, it mentions the infants that the people brought. It uses the Greek word brephos, which is a word that often specifically refers to a little child of infant age. And But we see this word occurring as we looked at in the last episode when Elizabeth mentions that the child leaped for joy in her womb when she tells Mary, when Mary comes to her and she says, who am I that the mother of my Lord should come to me? But with the news that she was pregnant with Jesus, the six, seven, eight, whatever month old, unborn, John the Baptist leapt in the womb of Elizabeth. And the word for the babe there that leapt in her womb is the word brephos. And so people brought brephos to Jesus for him to bless them. And Jesus cared so much about those children that he had to rebuke his disciples. Well, the same word can be used for the unborn as referring to John the Baptist. And now also Matthew 19 verse 14 mentions Jesus with these infants being brought to him. Now there's a different word referring to them. It's the Greek word paideon. This word can be used of an infant. It can also be used of maybe a young child before puberty and so on. So some child, a toddler or something like that, but also an infant. So the word pideon is used in Matthew 19, verse 14, for the infants, but this is also the same word that John 16, verse 21 uses when Jesus is referring to basically end times or things telling the disciples what to look for, and he gives this illustration that we've mentioned in a previous episode a while ago where Jesus says that a a woman in travail forgets the birth pains and it says when she is delivered of the child and the word for the child there is the word pideon so she's delivering a child and it's the same word used for these infants that are brought to jesus and so i think it's important that we realize that hey these greek words both of which can be used to refer to an unborn child 
So Jesus says that young children are of the kingdom of heaven. And once again, if Jesus' attitude toward these young children is one of incredible value, even to rebuke the disciples for not respecting their value, not realizing, hey, we should make ourselves like that for our standing in the kingdom of heaven. Why would Jesus treat unborn children with no value? So I just think that just going through these verses and seeing like how much in Jesus values life and even rebuking his disciples and telling them, okay, these children are precious. And then I know Baby mentions that a few podcasts have talked about this article that came through Life News this last week, but just about in contrast to how God and Jesus values life but how people now do not value life can just be very evil. Mm -hmm. So basically this article that I'm thinking of is entitled Satanic Temple Sues to Stop Abortion Bans, Claims Killing Babies is a Religious Right. Mm -hmm. And just going through this article is... (laughs) I'm trying not to cry because it's just... (laughs) It's just evil, like how they twist what Jesus teaches and they twist it to make it sound like something that abortion is a good thing. So Mm. one of the quotes in here is that they're basically the temple is suing because of the abortion bans and that affects their rituals at Mm. the satanic temples because one of their rituals to become a member is an abortion procedure. And they kind of lay out what they do during that ritual. And so they have the person who's having the abortion. They have to recite some of the tenets that they have after the abortion. Then they have to recite, quote, the personal affirmation. And the personal affirmation says this, by my body, my blood, by my will, it is done, end quote. But this is how they initiate membership into the satanic temple. Makes you sick to your stomach. I don't want to read too much of the article because it is very disturbing. Mm. And I don't want people who don't want to know too many details on here. They can look at the article themselves and read more. But just how contrast this is to (laughs) someone saying, oh no, killing a baby is actually the ritual and the right. And that was the other part I was thinking of with this article too, babe, is that they're trying to say that this ritual of doing an abortion, they say it's similar to Christians Hmm. doing a communion, Hmm. like a baby's first communion or a baby's first baptism. Yeah. Okay. Jesus here is saying, (laughs) let me bless these children because they're special, they're valued. He is not taking their life from them. Exactly. This is not the same thing. Yeah, how could it be the same thing when a communion or baptism involves no violence or end of life? Yeah, it's basically affirming new life. Yeah, that kind of makes me think of 2 Corinthians 6 toward the end of it, where Paul's asking the question, you know, what concord has Christ with Belial, or what agreement has the temple of God with 
with idols, you know. So I know that the founder of this so-called satanic temple, I think he claims that he doesn't believe in a literal Satan and he started this whole thing just to start something that he can call a church and with his, you know, kind of beliefs just so he can get tax-exempt status and stuff like that. But obviously, yes, it's horribly evil and directly contrary and you know so anyone who thinks that jesus christianity properly would support abortion well why would christ be in agreement with satan and that they both would support abortion well and you know i've known other satanic temples Hmm. in our area that are definitely satan worshipers and Hmm. they do infant sacrifices there with aborted babies and i mean that is definitely a strong evil that is around but it makes me think of this verse i know it's old testament and we're talking about new testament but jesus would affirm it yes <laughs> <laughs> so it comes from proverbs eight thirty six, and it says but he that sinneth against me wrongeth his own soul all they that hate me love death hmm. So you can see all these people that hate Jesus, they hate what he stands for, what he values, and instead they love death. Mm. And I think that's what we're seeing here. And you just see that contrast of what Jesus is actually teaching and what he's displaying through his interactions with the children and with the disciples that he values life. He thinks these children are precious. He thinks all life is precious. But when people don't like Jesus, and they're going to go against what he teaches. Yeah, exactly. Because part of the biblical understanding of the value of life is to recognize, yes, humanity, there's collectives, there's groups, but you must regard the individual, the unique individual. And when you understand that there is a value that's individual as well as collective, then you must value the life of an individual. And when people want to blur away the biblical humanity of the individual and everything becomes collective, then you have things like Marxism and social gospel and stuff where people can try to claim to be Christian as they mix their beliefs with that, but then everything turns into the good of the collective. You sacrifice the individual and then you have people trying to act like, well, it's Christian love and charity to support support things like abortion because you're devaluing, you're dehumanizing the unborn for the sake of mothers in distress or something like that. And there are ways to handle that that don't involve killing humans. You have things going on in Canada like the euthanasia and stuff, but of course people might try to Christianize that to try to say, well, because if someone's life is not at this point valuable then it's more efficient to care for those who can contribute to the collective you know because it's all about the big picture of the collective and we dehumanize the individual but true Christianity and the teachings of Jesus involve the value of every individual there is no collective without individuals. And so, yes, you must, if you understand that there is an individuality to people and there is a humanity to each one individually, then you must regard the value of the life of the individual. Hi, I'm 
Sharon Wilharm, host of All God's Women podcast and internationally syndicated radio show. I'd love to invite you to join me as we bring to life the stories of women in the Bible and discover their relevance for our lives today. Listen at allgodswomen.com, your favorite podcast platform, or at christianpodcastcommunity.org. Our final points that we want to get to is how Jesus viewed life. So point number six is that Jesus said he came to bring life. So not bring death, but bring life in John 6, 33. And in 10, 10, he mentions he's the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. He came to give his life for others. Matthew twenty twenty eight 28 and John 10, verse 11 The Son of Man came to minister, to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. So we see that the purpose of Jesus coming is not to fulfill himself. He didn't just come to make himself great, but we know that he is great. He's the greatest human being who ever lived. And as the greatest human being who ever lived, he was God the Son incarnate. So the greatest being that there is, who is incarnate as the greatest human being who ever lived, came to serve others. An example of that is how he washed his disciples' feet. He's the master. He healed people. He put himself under to serve people. And then point number seven, Jesus said that he came not to destroy lives, but to save them. So Luke 9.56, he actually specifically mentions that he came not to destroy life. The final point is that Jesus equated doing good with saving life and doing evil with destroying life. So here in Mark 3 verse 4 and Luke 6 verse 9 where Jesus heals someone on the Sabbath and the religious leaders try to give him grief over that. He asks, is it wrong to do good on the Sabbath or to do evil to save lives or to destroy life? So the parallel there, he's saying to do good on the Sabbath or otherwise to do good is also involves saving life and to do evil involves killing or destroying life. So yeah, abortion would not be included under the doing good on the Sabbath or any other day. And so we hope that these eight points about Jesus, as recorded in the Gospels, what Jesus taught about life, the value of life, demonstrates against all the accusations that Jesus didn't really address abortion. He did, at least inferentially, because he was very pro-life in his teachings. And so, even though he didn't specifically mention abortion by name, you can definitely conclude from his value of life, and from even the words that we looked up, how there's no room for a pro-abortion Jesus. And as the Christmas story demonstrates how pro-life Jesus' own conception and birth is, it follows that that very same Jesus would value the lives of others, and he did. He served others. He gave his life for others. 
Christmas and Easter itself. Also, his whole purpose of living was to be the perfect sacrifice in which he would give his life on the cross of Calvary to save, to give life for other people. And so, that's the ultimate pro-life message. Everything about Jesus from conception to death to resurrection to his reign in heaven, his return and everything is pro-life. And so, thank you for listening to this um, part three. Christmas is pro-life and we hope that you will stay tuned for the next episode of Truth Espresso. And God bless. Thank you for waking up with Truth Espresso. Good morning, and God bless your day. Hey friends, Daniel Minnick here again. If you liked waking up to this episode of Truth Espresso, I would really appreciate it if you would rate it on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or whatever application you use to listen to Truth Espresso. 